Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me longtime film critic and entertainment journalist Adam Stephen Kelly, aka Brit Geek for readers of Ain't It Cool News. Uh, and he's on the podcast to talk about his very accomplished directorial debut, the short film Done In. Hello, Adam. Hello, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm very well, you're very welcome. Right, then, before we go into too much detail about your film itself, um, can you just give us a brief summary of Dunning without giving too much away, obviously, because it's... Uh... Mm, absolutely. Uh, Dunning is basically uh, the story of a man who's writing a goodbye to the world of sorts um, while reflecting on memories and experiences uh, uh, in a, uh, a manor house in the countryside, the Welsh countryside. And that's about as much as I can say. <laughs> no, no, and I think, that's, I think you're right to only do that. So, um, if we do, before we go into more details about that, um, just give us a bit of a background on you and sort of um, situate you as a filmmaker. What or who represents a kind of tipping point in you wanting to make movies? And was film journalism always part of the plan? or just added to the journey? Uh, well, originally, I, um, I mean, I've been a lifelong film fan. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I, I guess the first sort of films that I started watching were, were horror films. And I just, I, lo- I love horror movies. You know, I love, I love films altogether. Mm. But, you know, I probably watched horror films the most. Yeah. But for some bizarre reason, growing up, sort of the, the idea of making films never kind of, just the idea itself never really popped into my head. And uh, I always sort of had a kind of a, a knack for writing. Um, so I thought, okay, well, uh, journalists write. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll kind of, I think I'll pursue journalism because it's something that you, you know, involves writing. But I never sort of had any idea what kind of field of journalism I wanted to pursue. Really? I, yeah, I didn't. I, 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 again, it's sort of film journalism and, and film criticism and all that. It just never kind of popped into my head, which which might sound bizarre, but um, not at all. But but generally, journalism just kind of it was just an option because I, like I said, I had a flair for writing, but I didn't kind of have an interest in it generally. But uh, I eventually I kind of put two and two together and thought, okay, well, I love films, uh, a lifelong f- f- uh, film fan. Yeah. I love writing. Let's put them together and um, basically just started writing for a couple of different websites and like I said I guess what people may know me the most from would be Ain't It Cool News um, and it was strange I mean I've written for a couple of big sites and different magazines and digital magazines and everything uh, in, in terms of writing about film 
And whilst all that was going on, at the same time, I, I was trying to, you know, put together my own projects uh, to make films. And uh, what evolved from writing about film was, okay, um, I can perhaps write actual films and not just write about, write about films, but, yeah. uh, you know, write screenplays and stuff. So I started looking into, uh, you know, how to write scripts and, you know, reading all the books that now I wouldn't recommend anyone read uh, and just, just reading scripts and just seeing how, the, why, how, why how screenplays you, were put together. Why and, wouldn't uh, you recommend those books out of interest? I'm sorry? Why wouldn't you recommend those books to read now, having read them? <laughs> um, I think because the people who have written them have never had successful careers as screenwriters. And I think what you need to read if you want to write scripts is quite simply screenplays. Because that's, you know, the, the best way to, to, to learn about how to write scripts is to, to, is to read scripts that have actually been made. Because you can't go, you, you know, you can't really fault reading the script of something that's won like, you know, tons of Oscars or, you know, Oh look, it's a it's a script written by Tarantino. I mean, you're not going to go wrong reading one of those, and then you can you can really see what works and what doesn't. And I think with these books, it's I mean, I've never I've never heard of a book that's been written by someone who's actually written a film that's had you know written a film of any note. Mm. And to be honest, the rules of screenwriting, the books say what you really shouldn't do and stuff, but. What I've come to learn is that actually screenwriting can be quite flexible because at the end of the day, if someone reads something and thinks, I can make money with this, then they're probably going to pick it up despite the fact that there may be some flaws in it. I mean, going back to Tarantino, I mean, his scripts, some of them, they're not even formatted like completely, you know, mm. by the book. But it's a, it's a, it's a you know, they're amazing stories. Uh, and I think often these books and, and, and even seminars often by the people who've written these books, uh, they, they give off the wrong message. And I think people read into them far too much when they should just be concentrating on, on, on reading actual screenplays. I totally agree. But I think, but, it, but I also, I mean, as a, I'm a writer myself, um, and which is why I was probably just asked the question, I think that the, it's almost like the rules that the book give you, the books give you, tend to provide you with a little road to navigate and then you start to read scripts then you begin to see that there's about three different routes in a, in a, across all genres almost. There's never that, that one way. As much as anyone can try and preach any dogma, it, it, it's never quite like that, is it? Because we'll always, you'll always keep seeing the, the exception that, that, that supposedly proves a rule. And you'll be going, but I enjoy the exception. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the, the day that someone like, you know, a really established screenwriter comes out with a book about screenwriting, then I might change my mind to say, you know, you should probably take note of what this guy says because he's got a proven formula of how to write films that actually get made. But um, is it Robert McKee or someone who's probably the most well-known guy who writes books about scripts? Yeah, he's one of them. He does a lot of seminars still. Yeah, and what's he ever written? No, it's true. No, it's true. There's a podcast out of America called um, Script Notes, with um, John August, who did the, a lot of the Tim Burton films, and Craig Mazan, who did um, a lot of the spoof movies like Scary Movie and stuff, and co-wrote Hangover 2. So clearly these guys have got writing chops that exist in a very Hollywood sense of movie making. Yeah. And they, they just rail against uh, all the kind of gurus and books that 
the how-to books. They essentially reduce it back to read some scripts, see how other people do it. Because if you're a novelist, you tend to read novels, don't you? Yeah, exactly. To, to, to learn the form. I mean, why, why, why would you want to read a book when, you know, the, what you're trying to actually write is something that you can just read rather than writing a book that's written about the things that you should be reading in the first place? <laughs> it's never made any sense to me, despite the fact that I've, like, I've read a couple. But, um, you know, hindsight, I should have just burned them. I think that, I mean, I think for me, they established a, uh, what do you call it? Um, just the, the real sense of the beginning, middle and end, which is hardly a revelation when you really think about it, because it's kind of, that's something that's natural in all of us. If we're telling a story about going to the shops, we'd start at the beginning, get to the middle and get to the end, wouldn't we? Yeah, exactly. So, so then you've, you've, you've answered one question there about, about the training. So essentially you, you took your training upon yourself, I guess. So was there any additional kind of formal training in terms of directing that you, uh, that you, that you looked into? Um, well, writing was the kind of, when, when I, when I, when the idea, you know, came about and I thought, you know, I really want to actually make films, hmm. um, again, because of my interest in writing, that was the first thing that, that I thought of was, I, you know, I'd love to write screenplays and be a, a film writer. Mm. Um, so, you know, for a number of years, I was writing scripts and, and writing treatments for, for stuff. Um, you know, a couple of shorts and, and, and features here and there. Um, but I, at first, I, I had never considered directing. But the more, I guess, you know, the more you write, and, and obviously that's, you know, writing is a very visual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just begin to sort of, I think, look at what you've written in a different way. If you have kind of, I know some, some, literally some writers have no interest in directing at all. But I think from, from my writing, that kind of gave me the inclination that I wanted to, to direct. Mm. And uh, I, 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 I had the, you know, the interest in directing, but I just continued writing for like, you know, another couple of years. Uh, just basically just trying to wait until I thought the, the time was right. Uh, for me to direct, because I, d- I just didn't want to jump into it um, and look like an idiot, basically. Fair so, um, <laughs> so when I wrote Dunny, and I thought, okay, it's um, it's about time I uh, directed something. Okay. Uh, I thought, you know, I want to start small and do a short film, and uh, so so Dunning was basically tailor made to be the first thing I was was going to direct. Cool. Well, look, before we go into too much detail, there's there's one question I wanted to ask you because I asked this of um, of Robert Cargill. Um, and being as obviously you've written for the same website and stuff, um, what influence do you think being a film critic for so long had on you when you sat down to write your own material? Well, I think you know writing about film is a great opportunity for seeing just generally, I mean, t- tons of films that then then you would normally even uh, you know consider watching in your own sort of free time. And seeing all these films that some, of course, necessarily you wouldn't actually consider watching yourself. And then the fact that you kind of have to, you, you've, you have to watch this film because it's like sort of part of your work yeah. and then write about it. It kind of, you're like, oh, well, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily watch this, but actually I really enjoyed it. And I think just seeing such a volume of different films, it's, it's kind of, I mean, there's no better education for filmmaking, in a sense, than just watching films and just, you know, 
say you want to write films, you keep reading screenplays. You want to write books, you keep re- uh, you keep reading books. Mm. You want to direct or, or you know make films in general. You just keep watching films, and you see different. You know, you you, you introduce to different filmmakers, and you start learning their styles and techniques, and you start you know appreciating films in, in a different way. And I think having to write about film, you you kind of look at films in a different way, and you kind of um, you know you're you're really just get into you know how they're made or, or you question yourself and think oh I wonder how they did that shot or something mm. and it kind of makes you watch films in a very analytical way um, which uh, I guess at times maybe could be a bad thing if you're just kind of you know looking at it and kind of trying to dissect these films all the time mm. but it, um, it it's kind of like a, an education in a sense and just being you know film criticism is such a great way to introduce you to different filmmakers and, you know, such a great volume of, of films and also connect you with filmmakers as well. I mean, uh, how uh, Done In came about um, through the producer, uh, S.J. Evans, you know, I, I got connected to him by um, reviewing one of his films and I've, you know, I've, I've worked with, with filmmakers and, um, you know, become friends with filmmakers and just, generally had this great kind of network with with filmmakers from writing about film and it's been a great um it's been a great avenue to to go from writing about film to film criticism mm. uh, sorry for uh, to filmmaking sure, sure, sure. um it's just uh you know i think um it's 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 like it's it's opened so many doors and no, no, you're, you're pitching the converse today, and I mean, that, that's exactly why I do the podcast. I mean, as someone who spends most of his time sat at a computer writing, not a massive amount of, not a massive amount of time to, uh, to network, but reaching out and speaking to filmmakers through the podcast has, has helped that happen, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no better way, really, than, than, than writing about films, because... You know, if you write a review or, or you review a film on a podcast and, you know, you, you put it out on social media, those filmmakers are going to be typing their names on Twitter and the name of their films on Twitter and, and looking at these reviews. And then, you know, I've had so many contact me and say, oh, thanks for that great review or, or whatever. And uh, and then there's, like, kind of uh, relationships have formed off, off of that or off interviews I've done. Um, so, really, I mean, it's been great. Uh, what about the flip side of it, though? Because obviously not all films are great. And as a critic, that's part of the job. But as a filmmaker, you obviously appreciate the effort that goes into making a film. So, you know, quite often, it's, it's safe to say, you know, the, the layperson may well compare some low-brick film from England to Avatar, but actually, you're, not re- you're really comparing apples and oranges there, aren't you? Yeah, uh, unless the film that you're watching, obviously... Uh, it's evident that there has been no effort put into it. Um, that, no, 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 and, that, and that's <laughs> often the case. But what, what I'm saying is, is, like, obviously films that you didn't, that you criticised rather than you, 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 drew, you, drew, you gave more attention by giving it, positive, you know, giving it a positive review. How did you feel like that? I mean, the, I'm more thinking about the pressure of that on you, you know, knowing, knowing what you said has gone wrong with films. How did that feed into your writing process? Oh, I see. Um, well, it's always interesting to um, to see what you know doesn't work, and again, that kind of pours into the sort of education of um, you know sort of educating yourself about filmmaking based on these films that you're watching yeah. and thinking, oh, th- this didn't work, or or you know this um, 
do you, you know you don't think oh this film's been made but I don't think it could sort of it's actually a very sort of marketable film or it's gonna kind of it doesn't look like the kind of film that's actually gonna sort of make any money or anything and that I think is always factors into some uh, like when you're writing it's kind of you know finding the balance between you know thinking realistically if this film that you're writing is actually going to be made um but i five in terms of pressure uh, about you know, sort of writing negative reviews i mean it's never kind of concerned me because i've always tried to be as honest as i can when i've been writing about films so you know if someone's not done something bad or, or made a bad film then um you know i'm not going to be afraid to to say but i always do try and look at positives even if it isn't a bad film mm. uh, and try and make light of the good things because you know it's very rare that you'll see a film that is just completely awful you know you, you've got to try and make light of the good things in it i totally agree with you there i mean as right for brick flicks that's that's often the challenge with um with some of the stuff we get coming through um thinking more generally about your writing process then what 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 is yours are you a you kind of outliner are you dive in Burn the Midnight Oil, up with the lark. <laughs> I, I do, do tend have, to... Do you have a routine? I, I do tend to write at night um, by an open window, <laughs> which, which, which sounds a bit strange, but um, I, I find the night... Uh, you know, obviously the night is the quietest time, quite, quietest time of the day and there's sort of no distractions. Sure. People aren't coming up to you or, or sort of calling you or emailing you every five seconds at night uh unless it's a filmmaker because then they will be um (laughs) (laughs) but um it's uh i don't know it's just it's very calming and kind of relaxing at night and i just find it's the easiest time to sort of zone into the writing because you know sometimes you just sit down to write and you're just not mentally with it to write at that time but i find uh most often that uh the night is, is 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 sort of my time to write but um, I know a lot of people sort of like listen to, to music and, and stuff but when well, they're writing, but I've never been able to do that ever. I just find it so distracting um, that I just can't sort of concentrate <laughs> on okay writing. No so it's, I'm okay with no singing in it. Well, I, 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 I tend to listen to music before I write or after I write, and okay. I kind of make a playlist of uh, music that I think would fit a film I'm writing. That's interesting. Not that I sort of think, okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make a, you know, a ten million dollar film and spend fifty thousand on this music, but I mean, it kind of music that is stylistically similar to a film that I'm writing. No, and I often find that this evokes a mood. I mean, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it, it creates a, a a mood and a kind of atmosphere. And I actually often find music very inspiring. I've, I've, I've you know. I envision scenes put to certain music, and that actually, you know, entire scenes in in, in films I've 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 scripts I've written have come from you know different different songs, hmm. uh, which is quite interesting. Um, I guess quite quite a organic way of coming up with ideas. But um, yeah, I think I guess my my writing process is quite simple, really. But I, I do what, what, I do about, often like treatments. Building stories up, then. Sorry, I interrupted there. You said treatment. You do treatments, you say. I yeah, I often write treatments. Sometimes I just dive in as as a kind of experiment to see where I go. But I do often like to write uh, some some treatments and uh, 
sometimes treatments for producers and sometimes extremely messy treatments just for myself. They're <laughs> <laughs> the best. <laughs> Absolutely. No punctuation, no, no, no grammar, just, just drill away at the keyboard and just, just spit everything out on the page and just uh, go from there. <laughs> so where, where, so what was the, um, where was the idea for Dunning conceived or how, how did you come up with this idea? Uh, it's kind of a weird one because, um, I mean, going back to, to, to what I said earlier about, you know, waiting for the, the, the kind of the right time for me personally, for me to think, okay, I'm going to direct a film. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned earlier, Fright Fest, that's the festival I've attended now for the last, I think, five years. And sitting in, well, it's not going to be there anymore, obviously, but the Empire Leicester Square, yeah. sitting there with like 1,500 other people watching films on this humongous screen, to me is every year I've been has been outrageously inspiring um, and especially the audience there as well, because everyone kind of, you know, the best reaction you could possibly want from a film is with a Fryfest audience, essentially, because they'll, you know, if, 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 if something's funny, they'll laugh riotously. If something's disgusting, they'll, you know, gasp. Uh, and, and it's just such an amazing audience. And that, for me, kind of sealed the deal in terms of me finding the right time to direct. Um, and... What evolved from that was me, like I said, I love horror films. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, naturally, I'm going to write a horror film for uh, my first film as a director. Yeah. Uh, And I wanted to keep it relatively short. Done In is, is, you know, it's only eight minutes long. It's a a five-page screenplay. But uh, I was kind of just searching around for horror ideas and... uh, I couldn't think of any that kind of I could fit into five minutes. And for some reason, I wanted to write a Jalo film. And I came up with a title and everything. <laughs> but I actually couldn't come up with a story <laughs> that I thought would work in five minutes. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I think that was just me being a bit too geeky. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, that was going to be called Dog with a Human Face, uh, kind of playing on the old uh, Jalo titles, like yeah, Four yeah. Flies on Grey Velvet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ditched that idea. And then literally five seconds later, the entire idea for Done In popped into my head. Well, that was fortunate, wasn't it? It was, because I literally had no idea where it came from. And then I just kept thinking over and over, and I thought, I, I literally have not seen this done before. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to write this. And uh, an hour later, I had the first draft. And I worked on that a bit longer, and then just sent it out to some uh, friends, uh, filmmaker friends, just for, for feedback. Mm. And uh, the result of that was, uh, again, one of the people I sent it to was uh, S.J. Evans. And, uh, you know, right away his response was that he loved the script and, and really, wanted to, uh, really wanted to produce it. So um, it was fortunate there. I don't know, don't know where the idea came from. I, I genuinely have no idea, but I'm, I'm glad it did. Smashing their keyboards up now, going, you bastard. Yeah, just maybe the best ideas come from bad ideas. Well, no, I guess, I guess you've got to make... I mean, all ideas are going to be sort of ploughed over, haven't they, and dug up and ploughed over until you find what you're looking for. And if, if that's how you got there, you got there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I got there, which is what I'm, what I'm glad about. But um, If we could bottle it, then we'd all be selling it, wouldn't we? And, and it'd be, uh, we'd all make fortunes selling the secret to brilliant ideas. Uh, and, and yeah. listener, it is, it definitely is. There's a, it's a wonderful... I mean, and, and it's... You, with you saying that you tried the Jalo thing first, that speaks a lot for how, in a way... 
the short film format is its own format, isn't it, as compared to a feature film? There is, it's not so much there's rules, but there are there are things you can do with a feature that you can't with a short, and vice versa. And obviously, you can be, you can also be a bit cuter in a shorter, and being cute will reveal, <coughs> excuse me, how clever the idea is, which when people get to see this, they'll see. Mm, I completely agree. Yeah, some some things just wouldn't work as a short film. Some things just wouldn't work as a feature, but work perfectly as as a short. And like I said, again, you touched on there, like a Jello, I couldn't get it to work around, you know, what I wanted. And but you know, Jello features. I mean, there's plenty of those. Mm. So uh, it, it is a, just a case of kind of finding the right idea for the right kind of film that you want to make. Now, I mean, look, looking at it, I mean, I, I would say that it. That, that it's as, as beautiful as it is dramatic. Um, so congratulations there. Um, Thanks. I mean, from was it was it through your producer that you're able to fund such a such a, a debut with 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 those kind of high production values, or does that represent some kind of resourcefulness that went on in the process of making it and trying to get more bang for your buck? Uh, well, we crowdfunded the film. Okay. And uh, it took two campaigns to get the money that we needed to make the film. All right. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was kind of around the time that uh, all these massive Hollywood filmmakers were suddenly asking for money on crowdfunding platforms, and uh, which I think is completely ridiculous. But when the guy from Scrubs come on and things like that? And uh, Spike, Spike Lee ah, as well. I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, he... Um, he was asking for like a couple of million dollars. Yeah, he's got a lot of friends, hasn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, so launched this campaign asking for $2 million from his $15 million estate in LA somewhere, which was a bit strange. But um, I think crowdfunding is a great tool for people who don't have, you know, who definitely don't have the resources to, um, you know, kind of get their vision on screen any other way I mean short films it's not like you're going to find you know an investor who is looking for a return because there is no return effectively on a short film um, I mean you, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not making short films to make any money uh, unlike features obviously um, so how do you sell that then you know you're, you're, if you're, it's your directorial debut what, what, what are people buying into do you think when they're, when they're helping you crowdfund this well it's interesting because when you asked how to describe the film, obviously I, I really can't say anything. Mm. So the interesting thing in, in, in selling this film effectively to, to, you know, would be investors, so to speak, on these crowdfunding platforms was, <laughs> was basically trying not to make the film sound dull by dumbing down what you have to say because you, can't, you really can't say much at all. Yeah. Whilst also trying to make it sound interesting enough that people are going to, think, oh, this sounds good, you know, here's, you know, whatever, X amount of pounds. Um, so that was quite a challenge. But um, it was basically just assembling an amazing crew and, you know, telling people, look, we've got all these great people involved, here's what they've done, you know, they're really talented. It, you know, uh, the, the, these 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 people involved in the film are definitely, you know, a very capable crew uh, with a history of making, you know, being involved with some really solid productions. Uh, obviously, 
Guy Henry, um, our actor, has been, uh, you know, over in the UK, he's a, he's a pretty pretty famous guy from um, Indeed. Holby City and, and Harry Potter, and uh, he was in Stephen Fry's Bright Young Things and V for Vendetta and all that stuff. Um, so we knew that we wanted to um, get an actor who was both a really talented actor, an actor who wasn't going to make our budget $50 million, Dollars, <laughs> and also an actor who had like a really dedicated fan base who would get interest based on his fan base uh, involved in the you know interested in the film. So it was all these kind of different factors. It was sort of appealing to people who were interested in film, appealing to fans of our lead actor uh, when we got him involved, thankfully, um, and also obviously trying to. to sell me as a, as a credible director. And again, that was kind of playing on, you know, my journalism background and some films I was involved in as, as kind of producing bits and pieces, um, really just trying to make light of, of, of everything that everyone had done and, uh, and Guy and basically, you know, saying, you know, we really do believe in this film and we believe, you know, we have high hopes for it and it's an ambitious project. But, you know, the, the best thing you can do is when you're crowdfunding is, I mean, to make a film in the first place, you have to believe in it. Mm. And you need to convince everyone else that you believe in your film because otherwise no one else has any, you know, otherwise why is anyone else going to believe in your vision? So you've got to really hammer it down and be like, you know, this, we, we, we really want to make a good film. We really want to do this properly. Look at all these people involved. Would you like to help us? Um, to be honest with you, it doesn't sound that, I mean, the way you're talking about it and the approach you've taken doesn't sound like you, you doesn't sound much different than what you'd do if you were going out to Cannes Film Festival with a pitch and a, pitch and a trailer. You know, you really are trying to... All right, you're only attracting tenors here and £100 there as opposed to, I want half a million dollars or something. But essentially, the, the, it sounds like the pitch is the same, isn't it? It's basically saying, look at, the, look at the solid state of the people that are involved with it. The idea is tasty, so I guess you, the whole adage about sell the sizzle, not the steak. And then, um, trust us, we'll spend your money wisely and make a great film, which you can be part of, which... Like you say, with conviction, I don't think it's any different than if you were going out for even bigger chunks of money for feature films. It sounds like be professional would be at the bottom of all what you're saying. It's absolutely true. I mean, you know, when you go out to, to investors on a feature film, obviously they're looking for a return. Mm. And on, on a short on a film that you're crowdfunding, the return that people are getting is is not of, you know, is, isn't money. It's, you know, the perks that you set up, like... Uh, signed scripts and DVDs and uh, um, storyboards and stuff. So there is like a return there. So it's the same principle, but it's just it's not it's not cash back on your investment. It's like no, it's, sure. it's goodies basically. But you know you're absolutely right. It is it, it is the same thing on a, on a smaller scale, mm. uh, unless of course you're making you know a massive sort of you're trying to crowdfund a, a big big budget feature. But uh, no, it is exactly the same. It's um, it's the same formula, just on a different yeah, different no, it's, scale. It's, it's and interesting just to hear it be described in in such similar ways. But obviously, you're just dealing in smaller sums of money. But the 
the way you present yourself is no more sorry is no less convincing to the people you want to take a tenner off as much as the people you want to take hundred thousand off. You know, it's it's um, it's a lesson I think most people could, a lot of people could learn from using crowdfunding because I think all too often what you see is people going I want to make this and that's why they fail. So it's it's interesting to you know hear, hear how you you managed to make a success of it. Um, working with Guy Henry then as a as a directorial debut. Um, how did how did you um, prepare him for the role, or how did you two work together to be ready to make the film? Well, uh, once Guy was 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 all signed on and everything, um, you know, obviously that was just great because he's such a fantastic actor. So we knew that um, we knew he was going to be good. <laughs> we knew that we had a <laughs> we knew the character was gonna was gonna come through. Yeah. Because um, it, it was, I mean, it, you know, casting him in the first place was, I mean, he wasn't on the original shortlist simply because I hadn't thought of him yet. Okay. But then I was, but then um, when I did think of him, I thought I just couldn't envision the script without him. But, you know, and that was even before he was signed on to the film. Wow. It was just one of those, one of those things where you just, you know, the best person for the job effectively wasn't the first person that you thought of. So how, but, did, he, um, how did he come on the, on the wish list then? Um, I literally sat down once and uh, watched Holby City, which I, you know, I'm not an avid viewer by any means. I've just seen like, episodes here and there. Yeah. And I always was just, I always loved his character that he played in it. Okay. And he had such a presence. And I think for this film, we needed an actor who had a similar presence because the film revolved entirely uh, pretty much around this character. Yeah, he's and carrying it, isn't he? He's definitely carrying it. Exactly. <laughs> And the, and the words he's saying. Mm. So, um, you know, visually, he was exactly, you know, what I had in mind. The voice, again, the presence. He was, in terms of the character that I'd written, he was the total package as an actor. And uh, once he was in, you know, once he was all signed on, it was like just a big sigh of relief because I knew that he was more than capable of handling the role. Um and in terms of uh, getting prepared, you know, just kind of adding, I, I think well, the great thing about film is you watch something and, and people have different interpretations and perhaps some things aren't always answered in the film and you kind of draw your own conclusions about certain things. Yeah. And that's the great thing about, you know, directing an actor and you're sharing this, this kind of, um, it's kind of a cliche word in directing, but sort of the motivation and, uh, exposition that isn't like it's not in the script and it's not kind of on screen but it's part of this character and it's kind of almost getting uh, the actor to shine through this this layer that you haven't been able to write in the script because it's kind of not something that you can put into words effectively I saw, on I paper. Q, I saw a Q&A with um, Dexter Fletcher talking about Sunshine on Leith which is, a, I don't know if you know, is a, is a stage play adapted to screen. Yeah. And um, there's lots... The, the, I don't know if, have you seen the film itself? I haven't. Okay, well, in, in, Peter Mullen's in it, great actor, and he plays the father of the, of the, the lead character. And um, he said in the, in, the, in the adapting of it, he said there was lots of big speeches from the Peter Mullen character about, you know, the demise of the docks and the end of the working classes and all that. And he said, I just put red pen to it. He said, because he could do what we needed. He could do all that with one look at the camera. 
Yeah, exactly. The, the presence of the character and the actor combined was was enough. Absolutely, it's 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 kind of getting into words, you know, giving more background on this character that that is than is in the script, mm. and just kind of opening the actor's eyes, you know, further than the written word about how this character is and any kind of history that this character has. Um, and just, it, it, I think it, it, it kind of lights the way a bit more and enables them to think, okay, so this, you know, and then the actor again can interpret, um, based on what you've said, their version of the script uh, into into how they 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 look and you know their expressions and, and how they'll say different things. It's um, I think you know again motivation and exposition is, is is a great thing even beyond what is written on the page. So what 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 would you say would be a valuable lesson you learned from working with uh, Guy? Well, as a you know the, the first ever actor I've ever directed, yeah. uh, I couldn't you know I could ask for a for a better actor. Or someone who was as enjoyable and easy to work with. Mm. Um, I think the best thing, I mean, you know, just from directing in general is you kind of you're learning on your feet and you're learning fast, and you think, okay, perhaps I had preconceived notions about how I was going to do this, but now when you're thrown into it, things kind of change. Um, and with directing, it's kind of you know you really have to just talk to the actors. And and hear from from you know hear their perspective and hear what they have to say because at the end of the day you know I, I'm not an actor. Mm. Um, there are many great directors who are also actors and they kind of have that extra dimension to them. But I'm you know I've never acted before. I have no intentions of, of ever of ever acting. Mm. So it's always it, it was a great experience to work with someone who you know really knew their craft and was really good at their craft and them having their own ideas and bringing their own ideas to the table and just putting it into your head that you can be, you know, you can be flexible and you need to listen to other ideas and, and, and because at the end of the day, these actors embody the character and they have, will have their own opinion about what they should do and what they shouldn't. So you should, I think, you know, directors need to kind of give a lot of um, free reign to actors about how they'll perceive characters and, and act out based on that. Of course, while sticking to your, you know, your vision generally, but sometimes things will happen that you didn't expect, and you'll think, oh, that was, um, you know, I didn't see that coming <laughs> on, on his performance, but I'm, I'm glad he did that. Yeah, so it's kind of like the, the, the process of film is it's almost like a never-ending collaboration, isn't it? You never quite know where the next great idea might come from. You know, if you think how your story started, you know, dismissing one story and then this one's born, then equally, like you say shift of a hand, move of a head, and suddenly he's done something that you didn't see originally and it looks fantastic in the in the take. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, you hear sort of horror stories of, of so many directors being kind of dictators and everything. But film, as you say, is ultimately, it's just collaboration. And whether it's a short film with, like, a crew of 15 or a massive Hollywood blockbuster with a crew of, you know, 500 or something... Um, it's always a collaboration and things are just going to grow organically on set and, and evolve in ways that you didn't expect them to or you didn't, uh, you didn't think when you wrote something or put your shot list together or whatever. And you just have to listen to different people's ideas, even if it's not necessarily their kind of domain. 
you know, an idea, a good idea is a good idea at the end of the day. And if you think it's going to make your film better, then why would you turn it down or dismiss it? It's always worth hearing it, even if it's to hear what it is you don't want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can be sure what, what you are doing. Now, technically yeah. speaking, um, what what were the, what were the sort of main sort of directorial challenges for you? I mean, obviously, we talked there about working with the actor, but did did any of the, did any of what you scripted not survive, or was the compromises to be made in terms of time and budget while you were making the movie? Uh, yes, there was a kind of a, a subplot that was in the script that uh, we shot but didn't make it into the final cut simply oh. because we felt it didn't work. And uh, that was interesting because, you know, it kind of showed you that sometimes what you've written on, on, the, pa- on the page doesn't actually translate, you know, well to the screen. Um, so that was certainly an interesting experience. So um, that was kind of a very minor subplot and just a couple of shots that we uh, took out. But... Um, you know, it's interesting because at the end of the day, what you shoot is near enough going to be what you've written. Yeah. And then from then, you know, as you, you know, with each cut, it's going to get tighter and tighter. And then you're going to lose bits and pieces from the script that actually you didn't even need in the first place. And it's kind of this learning curve of, of seeing what actually, you know, what works on the screen and not just on the page and what doesn't. How did that feel to you as you were kind of losing what would have been precious at the start on the page to what obviously your eyes are now telling you i was fine with it because at the end of the day i thought it made the film better yeah um and you know we we shot this we, we shot it we shot the whole script you know it, it, it's all there but um sometimes you think well actually you know to get from a to b you don't actually need to to take this you know you don't actually need to, to, to arrive at this place before you get there. You can actually just go straight there. Yeah. And it works better and it's smoother and it's tighter. And, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be that extra, you know, minute longer or, or, or whatever. Um, so that, it's interesting to see how things translate uh, on screen and not just on the page. No, I think that's one of my, in a, in a funny way, it's one of my favourite bits, that they, uh, when you start sort of tightening the ratchet on it and just sort of taking those... It starts off taking a minute out, and then it's taking two seconds off here and two seconds off there, and suddenly it feels like it suddenly feels very rapid. And those early rough cuts, you realise how sort of slow they were. Literally, literally, sometimes it is just literally a few seconds. You're like, mm. okay, well, I don't like the end of that shot. Mm. Literally, just trim it a tiny bit and a, and a fraction. And uh, it, but at the end of the day, it just makes for so much more of a cohesive film. Which is which is ultimately what you're trying to get, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you could start off with making a 10-minute short film, but at the end of the day, what you, you know, you, you want to make it, effectively, you want to make it as short as possible because then you've got the, uh, then you've just got like a, a, a smooth running, a film as tight as you can get. I mean, you want to make a film as tight as you can. Well, that means you need, you, you need to make it as short as you could sort of possibly get without padding out with like completely unnecessary material. Mm. So what, what's, what's next then for Dunning? When, when, when can people see it? Well, the, uh, the world premiere, so to speak, was uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, which we came back from a couple of weeks ago, okay. uh, where it was as part of the short film corner there, which okay. we were um, very happy to get into as the very first sort of film festival that the film ever played at. Okay. Well, um, but from 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 here on, it's where we're taking it to the uh, we're taking it on the festival route. Mm-hmm. Um, we've submitted it to, to various festivals, and uh, basically seeing. Uh, 
you know, it, film is just a massive waiting game. And unfortunately, I've learned that I'm extremely impatient. Uh, but uh, with the festival thing, you kind of you have to submit your films months and months and months before you'll even get, you know, notification of whether you've been selected or not. So, as always, this is the waiting game, uh, on and on and on. But um, you know, the well, film has been submitted. Journalists don't see this, do we? Until until you start making films. <laughs> oh, exactly. There's, it's um, film filmmaking is just the slowest process ever. And I used to think I was quite a patient person. And then I started trying to make films and then realised that I'm not. You send an email about your film and you want to reply, you know, before you've even sent it. Um, you submit your film and you want them to say, it's great. We'll, we'll put in the official selection two, <laughs> two minutes after you've submitted the film. Um, <laughs> I'm just incredibly impatient. But, um, yes, it's, uh, it's exciting to see, you know, what film festivals may accept it. And, obviously, it was really great uh, having the film out in Cannes. Um, and also just, you know, in terms of, like, a kind of uh, proper actual public release, um, we're working on, uh, on, on sorting that out for people. Um, I mean, there are physical copies in existence because... Uh, uh, our backers on the crowdfunding campaigns have just started receiving their uh, DVD signed by Guy Henry. So, you know, some people are in possession of copies. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, we're working on uh, getting it out there and uh, available well, for everyone to see. Um, what would what be great, Adam, is to, um, is to keep us posted. And when you get, when you get some selections and stuff, you, we, can, uh, we can alert people to it via the, uh, via the site, if you'd like. Excellent, yeah, definitely, that would be great. I mean, we uh, we submitted it to some very prestigious festivals, so, um, you know, we're trying to see how it goes. I mean, a lot of the big festivals are towards the end of the year because I think, you know, a lot of them just want to kind of distance themselves from Cannes, obviously being the biggest festival there is. So, so you know... run into the awards season as well, isn't it? And awards season, yeah, definitely. the new year, you're in awards season, aren't you? Yeah. So, what, so what's, um, what's next for you, then? You another short movie, or are you already sort of looking at some of the features you've been writing and stuff uh yet yeah, i'm uh, i'm currently writing a horror feature um okay. and also trying to get another horror film uh which is at treatment stage at the moment and has been for a while uh trying to get that off the ground which is something i wrote before done in hmm. um and uh yeah definitely uh trying to get some other projects off the ground uh, in, that I've written and I'm in the process of writing. Uh, I'd love to direct another short, but don't have anything lined up at the moment. Uh, I think I'd like to direct another short or two before uh, I even attempt to direct a feature <laughs> because of how uh, different that would be, you know, three, four weeks instead of two days. Uh, and two days was intense enough. But, uh, you know, i definitely love to, uh, to make a feature in the future. But... Um, yeah, it just kind of just, uh, I guess the good thing about writing and directing is you have two options and, you know, you might not necessarily want to direct something, you know, uh, make a film that, that you're the writer and director of. You might fancy directing a screenplay that someone else has written. You might fancy someone else directing something that you've written. So it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of cool having these different options given that I do both. So just see what happens really. Um, I'm always, always writing always working on something so uh no, fingers crossed for you thanks um, a lot recommend as a british film that you think's underrated and deserves a bit more kudos 
Well, I think there's a, a great many British films that are uh, underrated, and I think, you know, I guess genre as a whole, I mean, I think the British kind of gangster film on a worldwide level is very underrated. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't make a British gangster film if you're not, a, you know, a, 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 outside of Britain because it just wouldn't work. And I think generally that a lot of the times they perhaps don't translate outside of the UK, um, but we've we've made some great ones. But in terms of a film, and this isn't a gangster film actually, but in terms of one single film that I think is fantastic that no one ever talks about is uh, a Peter Medak film from uh, the early 90s, I think it was 1990 or 1991, uh, called Let Him Have It. Okay. Um, you know, when people talk about Peter Medak, they, th- they, they talk about the craze or The Changeling, uh, great 80s horror film he did. Um, and, of course, recently he's done some great TV. He's worked on Hannibal and Breaking Bad and some other big, massive US TV shows. Mm. But um, he made uh, yeah, Let Him Have It, which is a, a drama, really, with um, Christopher Eggleston, about, uh, based on a true story, actually, about a, uh, a uh, teenager or a... Uh, I think it was in his early twenties or something, uh, with learning difficulties. Learning difficulties, he winds up in a in a gang and uh, winds up with a death sentence based on someone else's crime. And uh, actually, it's based on a true story, but it's a it's an incredible drama and uh, I think a film that just doesn't ever get the 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 recognition it deserves. And and no one ever talks about it. I can't, I literally can't can't remember the the, the last time um, anyone ever mentioned it. Uh, you know, because everyone always talks about the craze when it comes to Medak or uh, the Changeling. But um, and, and you know, the opportunity that I got to see that film was because I had to review it. So again, you know, films that I necessarily wouldn't have seen otherwise. Thanks to thanks to the world of film criticism, I was uh, afforded the opportunity to do so. So, um, but well, that's definitely that's, a very underrated. Yeah, no, that's, film. That's, I must admit, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person then of uh, kind of blanking that one out. And I think it's uh, well, it's overdue a revisit. Yeah, definitely. Pick it up. Well, look, sir, um, I thank you very much for your time, and hopefully we can have you back on some another time. It's the podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.